This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Morning. Uh, coming up to two minutes past nine, you are tuned to one hundred two point seven three Triple R. And um, Terry, we just heard you. Sorry, <laughs> I can't hear her. Sorry about that. This is radio. <laughs> this, this is radio. This is live. This is, radio. This is live radio <laughs> with all you know, warts and all. Um, radio Marinara <laughs> is the name of this program. We are the program out of all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. I'm Terry Allen. I'm Rex Hunter. How are you guys? Good. Good. Bron. Lovely to see you both. Good to see you too. Good yeah. to see you. Thanks. Thanks. Um, thank you. We, we went a bit wild with you uh, without you the other week. Bron. It was, <laughs> really? It was Feral. like mum. Mum had went gone away for the weekend, left the keys to the Morris Miner in the driveway. <laughs> like Ferris Bueller's day off, was it? Got in and drove off. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, and many thanks to everyone who has um, who's stepped in um, over the last few weeks. And oh, look, we've had a few family dramas. I won't go into them now. But thanks to everyone who stepped in and supported. It's been amazing. But it's very lovely to be back. That's good. Yeah, and thank you. Tim very much for Vital Bits as always and thank you Andrew as well and um, yeah always good yes I'd like to say I've been listening to a lot of radio over the last six weeks but I haven't but um, yeah it's, it's great to be back in this space and just to really have that sense of it's times like this really that you really appreciate support and a family and for me there's no you know a greater family for me than Triple R so thanks Let, let's go through um, today's program Oh, she says, can't find the running sheet. This is what happens when you have a few weeks away. Oh, that's, that's all, right. all right. Thanks, narrator. I've got it. Um, so coming in shortly will be Moana Kerr. Uh, she is a teacher and she's bringing in a couple of her students, um, Harlan Kahans and Jamie Chan. And these boys have been up to some incredible uh, work. Uh, they've entered a... Um, 
uh, a game which they wrote, a computer game, and drawing attention to um, the problem of ocean plastics and what can be done about it. And so this has been uh, entered into a science talent competition. They can tell us exactly what it was. Uh, now, we actually had Moana, Harlan and Jamie lined up for that very first week where I suddenly found myself in an emergency department at six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> not for myself, for one of my kids. And um, so I had to, uh, had to very suddenly cancel that appearance. So it's fantastic that, that they're able to come in today. So we're going to have a chat with them. Um, Terry, we're going to hit you up for a dive report. Yes, we're going to talk diving. We're going to talk uh, fish counts and uh, maybe a little bit of Rex as well. Excellent. That good for you, Rex? Rex, you're stepping to my territory. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to talk about fish this week. Uh, I'll talk about the f- recent finding of the cumber of uh, Arnhem Land, which is very exciting news. Brilliant. After about 74 years of being missing. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Just, you just have to wait, bro. Yeah, okay. We'll we won't, the full we won't story do it now. later. <laughs> then we're going to cross to, I believe, New York. Um, Elizabeth McCarthy, our wonderful talks producer, has lined this one up. To speak with Gordon Bass, he is an author, uh, an editor, and a whole lot more. He's written a book called The Last Great Australian Adventurer. It's about a man whose name, Australian um, man whose name uh, is well, was Ben Carlin. And... <sighs> Uh, I don't know if you've heard it. Yeah? If you want to read an incredible book, read Half Safe. Right. Well, this is about his journey in his in his in in Half Safe. Exactly. So, oh, it's good that you're here, Rex, because you're already (laughs) already familiar with this. Um, He back in the late 1940s, um, having been in the Indian Army, he's actually he was an Australian man, but he ended up in India and served some time with the Indian Army. Um, decided that he was going to build himself an amphibious vessel made out of a jeep and <laughs> circumnavigate the world, both wow. on land and at sea. Oh, and so this book great. is about this epic uh, um, adventure of his. Mm. It is incredible. It's mm. a great book. Beyond be- belief. Yeah. Good Christmas present yeah. idea, I think. <laughs> well, I've actually had a few books that have been building up over the last ah, few weeks. So we'll, um, cool. we've got a few really interesting ones to profile over the next few weeks. So we're going to be crossing to the US and having a, a live chat with Gordon Bass. Fantastic. Very exciting. As, as a, I think the, the vessel may have ended up in in a Catholic school in Western Australia. Correct. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's been restored and oh. yes. permanently on display. I'm not sure whether Ooh. how accessible it is to be able to go and check it out, but it's there and it's, yes. it's being very well looked after. It's by the school where he attended. Yeah, he was, mm. a, te- yeah. Well, he was a teacher there in the yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, he attended there. Um, Heath Ledger attended there as well. Oh, so right. there's a really interesting story um, about a potential movie to come from this. Oh, yeah. And uh, at the time, back in the early 1990s, Heath Ledger... Um, was quite interested in actually producing a film mm. and that obviously never came to fruition. So we can speak with Gordon about that as well. Wow. Mm. It's a film waiting to be made. <laughs> yeah. There's two of us will go and see it at least. <laughs> That's it. Um, okay, some weather. Terry. All right. So if you look outside your window today, you'll see it's a lovely sunny day. Uh, if you are going through the city, though, be careful because the Melbourne Marathon is on and some of us got a bit caught up in that today. <laughs> yeah, Brunton Avenue is closed. Brunton Avenue is closed. You can go around the... Uh, down Punt Road, anyway. But um, No, a beautiful day for the runners. Good luck. It's not my sort of thing, but anyway, good luck to them. Uh, top of 19 today, sunny, as I said, and... Uh, 21 degrees tomorrow, mostly sunny. And uh, last week I was down at Potsy Back Beach and it was beautiful weather there. Well, great for the surfers, huge surf. 
Um, and the conditions are great on the surf coast today with a light west-northwesterly, so beautiful tubes, as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phillip Island, good conditions as well. But for the divers, the swell is starting to drop away and uh, and so there's going to be a nice uh, northwesterly 10 knots, I think, uh, today. So, um, yeah, should be good. Great. And do I see their temperatures hitting the 30s later in the week? Uh, yes. That's uh, 28 Tuesday, 30 on Wednesday. Wow. 24, back to 19 on Friday, of course, because, you know, this is Melbourne and then <laughs> the weekend we will come up. Uh, tide times, uh, high tide at 10.16 at Williamstown, and that will be about the same for slackwater uh, flood slack at the heads. Beautiful. Thanks, Terry. A couple of quick plugs and then we're going to hear some music. The Environmental Film Festival Australia is on this weekend. Um, you would have heard uh, Dr Beach interview uh, someone. I actually don't know who it was, but someone from EFA last weekend. Thank you, Dr Beach, for suddenly stepping in for me. I actually had gastro last weekend oh, just to top right. everything off. That's oh, right. man, it was full on too. You didn't drink enough vodka. That was your trouble. <laughs> That's right. Um, there are there, the, Today is the second day of Environmental Film Festival Australia, so there's a few films that you can go along to see. Sensory Environments Package, so it's a series of shorts um, that encourage unique ways of exploring and understanding space using film to navigate different environments. Then there's the Borneo case telling the story of the biggest environmental crime of the century, mm. uh, which looks pretty shocking. Um, international short screening takes you across the globe, so that follows that, exploring the world's largest commercial marketplace in Yiwu, China, and then taking a trip behind the scenes of a unique primate sanctuary in Madrid before joining the fight to include cycling lanes in the city of Kampala, Uganda. So incredible there. And then finishing off with Honey, Rain and Dust, uh, which looks like an amazing film as well. So get along to EFA if you want to do that. Um, wanting to do a really quick plug to next weekend, um, celebrating this is an annual event f- at Western Port, the 2017 Walk for Western Port, celebrating Victoria's marine treasures. So this is taking place next Sunday and we'll give it a plug then as well, mm. um, although you, you might want to put it in your calendar now if you want to take part. So tickets are children $5, adults $10, family for a $25. <laughs> Um, a short walk, one to two kilometres around Hastings for sure, or you can go on the longer walk if you want to go and do that around Crib Point. Um, and it's really just a, an opportunity to come together and really uh, experience the wonders and the joys of Western Port um, and it's uh, all proceeds go towards the Dolphin Research Institute as well. So that's a couple of things to pop in your diary. Now, we spend a lot of time here on Radio Marinara talking about the threats facing the oceans and the seas of the world and honestly, sometimes it can get a bit depressing. And then there are times like now where we come across some fantastic kids and their teachers who are not only making themselves aware of these threats, but they decide to do something about it by educating others around them and trying to find solutions to these problems going into the future. Harlan Kahans and Jamie Chan are two Year 5 students at Auburn South Primary School. They've recently entered an online game that they created about marine threats in the Science Talent Search. They're joining us now along with their teacher, Moana Kerr, to talk about their invention and what made them choose marine threats and solutions as the subject for their competition entry. Good morning to you all. Good morning. And good morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for coming in early on a Sunday morning. I hope I haven't taken you away from sport or something like that or singing or dancing or whatever it is that you normally do. Not really. Not really? Homework. <laughs> 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 Let's start with the, uh, the competition. So what is the science talent search? 
The Science Town Search is an event where students in Victoria gather together to make or compete in a science project which they then present to the judges. To the judges. And are the judges teachers? Um, yep. I'm pretty sure the judges are... They may be teachers, but... They may also be parents. They could be anyone. Mm. Yeah. Scientists, maybe? Mm. I yeah, think they also possibly. could be scientists. Yeah. yeah. Moana, cool. do you want to so. <laughs> do you want to jump in? It's an extraordinary um, competition because it basically captures children from prep right through to year 12. Oh, wow. Um, so the scope of it, uh, and they have a huge number of categories from creative writing... Um, through to making board games. Um, Harlan and Jamie did a computer game. There are computer simulations. Then at the year sort of 12 level, you've got people doing experimental research. Mm. There was one winner who did a um, an experimental project on using magnets to remove oil from ocean environments. Um, Extraordinary sort of stuff. So, in a in a way, the competition at the primary level is about preparing them to enter into that field in the secondary level. And the prizes up for grabs are um, bursaries, scholarships. Wow. Yeah, and it's nationwide. Yeah, that's amazing. And when when we originally had you all planned to come in, this was about six weeks ago, and so you'd entered your your entry, um, but. And so six weeks later, we found out that you've actually won one of the awards. Can you tell us what it is that you won? And then we'll talk a bit about the game. We, we won a minor bursary award, which means we get $40. Wow. But since there's two of us, we split it 50-50, so we both get 20 Fantastic. Were you pretty excited when you found out that you got one of the bursaries? Yeah, very yeah. excited. It's great. Brilliant. Wow. Now, did you have to choose a marine-themed entry, boys, or could you have chosen anything? Why did you choose your particular theme about marine threats? We chose... Well, we didn't have to choose a marine area yeah. of the world, but we decided that we'd do it. Initially, we decided... We thought that we'd do coral bleaching itself, mm. but then we sort of zoomed out onto the entire oceans. Oh, that's great. That's amazing. So tell us about um, your, your game. What is the aim of it? What have you decided to do? So our game, Future Oceans, made on Scratch, which is a game maker, mm -hmm. is made to inform people about the varying issues that our oceans are facing. Great. And so when you say Scratch, is that, is that like coding? I'm really old, so I don't know these things. Uh, Scratch is like coding, but simplified, so many people can do it. Oh, even us old even, people, even we right? can. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Right, so talk us through it. What do you do when you play the game? Well, our game follows a very simple choose-your-own-adventure format. Ah, great. Great. This is when you're faced with two or more options and you have to choose one of them. One of them is normally better than the other. So better in what sense? Um, like the right choice like, to make or is it that you Not the right choice to make, but it gives that but it's more positive to you and your score that you're going to get at the end that than rather than the other 
option. Right. So can you give us an example of one of the questions or one of the things you'd face in the game? Um, one that I remember is about global warming. It says I... Inf- the green option says I inform the public of what's happening. Yeah. Okay. And the other option is I ignore and keep polluting. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. And how many choices do you have to make as you go through and play your game? Can you remember um, how many? I think there's about eight. About eight. And how did yeah. and how did you go about deciding what those things were going to be where you needed to make a choice? Did you have to do some research about problems with the marine ocean with the oceans? Mm, we did some research about the problems, but we also themed each question around the issue instead of doing two questions of, about the issue. Right, great. And Moana, did you have um, much input into this or was it something you, the boys pretty much did it all on their own? It is such a struggle as a parent in this science talent search. The, the level of discipline and tongue biting is extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, the kids actually have to present to the panel by themselves. So, yeah. oh, right. you know, like you're not doing them any favours. Yeah. Um, Jamie's mum and I, we did read a lot about the ocean. So there were a lot of discussions had. I read Ted, Danson, Ted Danson's Oceana. Oh, book, fantastic. Um, which has some wonderful kind of graphics that, that really simplify a lot of these issues like ocean acidity, for example, which mm. Harlan really got quite into. Mm. Um, so, you know, we just had to build up that understanding of what is carbon, how the ocean acts as a carbon sink, what are the effects of that. But it was really basically at the end of the day you have to keep your hands off because the kids actually have to come up with something of their own. Yeah. And when I think the judges are very astute. If if there's too much parental involvement when it comes to the presentation, it'll be obvious. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> and when you presented boys to the panel, did you um, get to see the other entries from some of the other contestants? Well, we saw them waiting to be presented, but we don't actually uh, see them present. Yep. We see, we go, like, there's a waiting place, where a waiting room, mm. and the people who are presenting go inside it, but there's a few windows, so you can peer in to see what they're doing, but <laughs> yeah. you can't necessarily hear them. Okay. Great. Was that nervous waiting for your presentation? Not really. No? Well, there's no... It's a computer game section, so we had to bring our own computers. Yeah. And there's no rules about when and when not to use your computer. Okay. So most of us just play games. <laughs> Fantastic. So it's just all natural. I love it. Did you run around with your iPads and say, hey, don't bother playing this game, play this one. This one's really good. And show them the game no. that you've come up with. No, not really. Not really. So we've talked a little bit about the fact this is a choose-your-own-adventure model. How does the game... Just a little bit about how the game begins. How did your game... How does the game actually begin? The game begins by a scientist informing you about the issues of the ocean and that you, as the player in this game, plays the role as the leader of the government, has to play a part to solve these issues. Nice. Is that something you want to do one day? Now that you've Mm. gone through this process, can you see yourself in some sort of leadership role in government? Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Oh, brilliant. You're exactly the kind of people who we want to see. Go straight to go. That's right. Yes, exactly. That's right. Now, this is a really exciting thing um, about this, that 
our listeners out there, and we think there are a few people maybe listening at the moment, they can actually, can they play this game? Can they go online and play it for themselves? Uh, yes. If you go to Scratch, we entitled our game to Future Oceans. Yes. But the direct link is HTTPS semicolon. Wait, colon, yep. Yep. slash, slash, scratch dot mit dot edu slash projects slash one seven three five two zero two five five slash. Excellent. And you know the great thing about that? We can put a link to that on our Facebook page and also on our page within the Triple R page. Um, and also, if people want to get on there right now before we get an opportunity to do that, you can listen back to this program in about an hour via Radio On Demand and people can write that down and, and have a listen again. That's awesome. Scratch I've actually had it... What's that, sorry? You might be able to search Scratch Games Future Oceans. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, Nerida's yeah. just mentioned that um, you might be able to search... Scratch, Scratch. Games. Games, Future Oceans. Thank you, Nerida. Yes, indeed. And I've actually played it. It's great. It's really good. You've done, you, obviously, because you won a prize and, you know, mm. you're, you're legends both now and in the making. So um, fantastic. And I guess that's it. Thank you so much, guys, for coming in. It's been wonderful to have you in and all the very best for the future. And um, we really look forward to hearing more of you because I think we've definitely got a couple of future world leaders here in the making. <laughs> and thank you, Moana, for coming in. Loved it. Thank you. And, and wonderful. Thanks so much. We've been speaking with Moana Kerr, Harlan Kahans and Jamie Chan. Um, science, science, talent, search, future earth and indeed we have a couple of future leaders here in the making. We've got some time to do a few quick updates. Terry, do you want to lead off? Yeah, sure. So uh, I just wanted to chat about the um, the upcoming uh, fish count and fish count, which I think uh, our listeners are probably uh, well aware of, is uh, every year in December we uh, have certain sites and we uh, count fish, of course, certain species, and then that data is uh, stored and analysed. Um, so it's a great, great fun time. But the good thing is that they're going to they have a launch this year um, and it's going to be on the 1st of November and it will also involve a number of um, marine science talks Um and so that'll be that'll be really that'll be great. You can um, if you go to the Fish Count website, you can actually uh, register for that. It's free. Um, and one of the talks is going to be uh, about the uh, Project Banjo, um, which is uh, stopping the senseless slaughter of rays. And uh, so and that's a, a petition that's been um, ongoing on Facebook. Um, but what's been fantastic with the uh, with the petition is there's also been a uh, um, consultation with Victorian Fisheries Association. There's been an eight-week community consultation and uh, now they're moving towards um, perhaps making some changes Great. to the legislation. Because some signs have gone up, haven't they? Yeah. There have been some really good positive response from from the fisheries authorities to put, put some signs up and then I guess it's that next step to... To, to increase that level of protection. Yeah. I've been seeing some of that um, coming through on social media that that it's continuing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it's it's good. And, um, but the, the, sla the, the slaughter's continuing as yeah, well. Yeah, well, that's the problem. Although I have to say, we, I just just judging by looking on Facebook and people reporting it, it seems to have gone down, but that's good. who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the signs, I've seen a sign at Blegarry Pier, at, at Portsea Pier, and I think at Rye. So they're very simple little cartoon sign just showing, you know, if you do catch a ray, how to release it safely and what not to do, of course. So, uh, yeah, so it's it's been great. Um, so 
Peter Hirschfeld is going to give a talk at the uh, Fish Count launch on the 1st of November, as well as uh, obviously a number of other marine science speakers. Um, yeah, so, but if you do want to know more about it, um, it's well worth uh, searching, especially on Facebook. And uh, we still need people to sign the petition. Um, it's getting sort of worldwide, uh, you know. Uh, attention um, and there's other groups around the country as well as uh, in New Zealand uh, supporting it and doing similar things. So, yeah, it's great to see, you know, a grassroots thing taking hold and then actually, you know, government authorities then doing something about and it. And responding. Yep. Yeah, it is. It has been fantastic. Mm. Fish count's really interesting. It's been going for a really long time. I've lost count of how many mm. years, but it, it was, it has, it's been citizen science before citizen science was a thing, before yeah. it even had a name. It, yeah. This has been going on for so long, which is just great. Yeah. Huge um, volume of information that's been building up over this time. Yeah, and they're all they're also, um, I believe, adding a few new species in this year. Um, and I know that the the logo has actually got a, a, a stingray on it, which is great because I don't think that was something we used to count. But um, it's a really cool logo. So I'm actually hoping that'll even attract even more people. Great. Um, I've also got the uh, there's the in December they're doing a um, Guinness Book of World Records yes for the uh, n- largest number of divers in a line underwater so this is uh, going for the world record in uh, it's going to be held at Rye Pier uh, and you can also uh, register for that I think there's a cost I think it's twenty five dollars you get a t shirt again um, and I think some of the money goes towards something but I can't remember what that is. <laughs> That's all right. We can get some information on that. But that'll be that'll be a fun thing, and uh, yeah, just um, bringing attention to diving in general. So. Great. Is and that underwater or above water? It's <laughs> underwater. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I think they've got to get about three, three hundred, three hundred and fifty oh, people. Goodness. So I know I'm like, not actually sure. A bit how like herding cats. Oh, I know. Yeah. And, yeah. and at Rye is at the Rye Pier, location. Yeah. yeah right. So I think the parking and the that logistics will be the real nightmare. <gasps> yeah. So. Maybe some shuttle buses or something. Yeah. And pool they try to get people to carpool and uh, but yeah it, it should be fun I, um, I thought oh I've never been part of a world record attempt no. so why not go for it so yeah and you do need to register it's important to mention that so you can't just yes. rock up on the day and expect to be part of it no. you have to register yeah you have to register because you, as you can imagine as I said it's quite a nightmare to yeah. get all these people together do you have a do you have a place where people can register um, I will we'll, we'll look get that, up. that yep so just note that for now and um, we'll provide details coming yep. up. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinara en 3 R. Indeed, you are listening to Radio Marinara, where the time here in Melbourne is 21 minutes to 10. Back in 1948, Australian Army Major Ben Carlin set out from uh, Nova Scotia with one goal, to circle the world over land and sea. It was a huge gamble that had every likelihood of killing him, but it didn't. Ben Carlin eventually successfully crossed four oceans and five continents, setting the record for the smallest motorised vehicle to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Gordon Bass has captured the odyssey of Ben Carlin and his rusting amphibious jeep, appropriately called Half Safe, in The Last Great Australian Adventurer. It's with great pleasure now that we cross to speak with with Gordon about this epic story. Good morning, Gordon. Welcome to Triple R. Good morning, and thanks so much for having me on to uh, to talk about Ben Carlin. Oh, look, it's fantastic to have you on. And our first attempt was a false start. I think I became ill at the time, <laughs> so it's great to finally catch up with you. Now, uh, I mentioned uh, we've crossed to New York. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I'm actually in New Jersey, so in a leafy suburb about 50 miles due west of, of Midtown Manhattan. So, so I'm sort of in this Tony Soprano area. Oh, okay. <laughs> my favourite. Yeah, we can relate to that. Um, now, this is an amazing, uh, amazing book, and, and congratulations. Um, for someone who is, to all intents and purposes, a hero, and as you write, um, completed one of the great adventures of the 20th century, I'm guessing very few people in Australia have heard of Ben Carlin. Did this come as a surprise to you as you were researching and writing this book, that this guy's not actually a national hero in Australia? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, first of all, I have to say, it's great doing this interview because I heard Rex earlier saying that he's read Half Safe and knows who Ben is, and, and you obviously know who he is. But um, part of the reason that I wanted to write the book was simply that I couldn't believe that he wasn't better known. I mean, nobody in the States has ever heard of him. Uh, but even when I came to Australia to do my research, it turned out that, that virtually no one had heard of him. And considering what he did, I mean, you know, circling the world in an amphibious jeep, um, in the 40s and 50s, a feat that's still in the Guinness Book of Records. It was just amazing to me that he isn't uh, better known. No, he's better known on the west coast of this country, though, isn't he? And there's there's really quite a divide here in Australia, which is obviously closing over time. But the western part of Australia is so far away geographically from where a lot of uh, a lot of the business end of well, I shouldn't say that, but population. there's yeah, the population. Thanks, Terry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's he's much better known on the west coast, isn't he? You know, a few people there had heard of him. Um, and you're right, you know, he went to Guilford Grammar School, which is a private school outside of Perth, uh, where Heath Ledger also went. And he was, he, was, he was very much a sort of a famous son of the school. So people who know uh, Guilford Grammar are familiar with him. His Jeep half safe is on display there under a shelter. He gave it back to the school um, late in his life. And uh, so, so, yeah, you can actually go on the campus and go check out the Jeep uh, today. And is, so is that, um, I was going to ask you this later on, but I'll ask you now. So is this something that people can do? Do you need to make an appointment with the school to be able to do that? Is it, how easy is it to go and have a look at it for yourself? Well, I, don't, I don't know the rules of going on to a, to a <laughs> yeah. school campus. But, um, you might want to check know, first. <laughs> they, sort of, they built this interesting little shelter. It's a, it's a glass shelter around it. It looks a little bit like a pagoda. And there it is, uh, the, the amphibious jeep that Ben travelled around the world in. And it looks pretty much the way it did when he drove into uh, Montreal and then New York in 1958 to complete his journey. Yeah. So, so it's still there. It's locked up. But it was amazing for me to see it. I got to actually get inside the Jeep with Ben's daughter yeah. um, when I was down researching the book. So it was an amazing, amazing moment. Yeah, I was reading an article last night, um, an ABC um, online article that, that uh, has a photo of you with Ben Cullen's daughter there as well. So, yeah. Now, I understand you came across this book, um, what well, was in another book that belonged to your parents. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so it was the book that Rex was mentioning. Uh, ben set off, I mean, you know, it, I wish I could sort of start at the very beginning, but I'll start in 1948. Ben decided he was going to sail, travel around the world in this sort of converted amphibious army jeep. So if you picture the kind of the World War II army jeep that you've seen in movies and TV shows, uh, in, the, in the middle of World War II, the American Army decided to create an amphibious version of that that could sort of go across creeks and lakes and things like that. So Ben, ben found one, built a little cabin on top, and set off to, to cross the Atlantic and then circle the world. He wrote a book about the Atlantic crossing uh, mainly to make money. He was, he was dead broke the entire way. Um, he'd always intended to wait until the end of the journey to write the book, but he needed the money. So I found a copy of that book in my parents' bookshelf you know, 10 or 15 years ago, started reading it because it seemed unbelievable, 
and I was really surprised to see my grandfather's name in the first few pages. It turned out that my granddad had known Ben Carlin and that Ben had had an influence on my own dad's career. So not only is it an amazing story to me uh, of sort of adventure and daring, but it's also got a wonderful family connection to me that, that I, I dug into as I wrote the book. Now, Rex is going to have particular interest in this because your dad was a maritime archaeologist, wasn't he? An underwater archaeologist. Oh, George Best? Yes, that is right. Oh, Um, (laughs) he's still my digging heart. Oh, wow. He's the grandfather of archaeology, maritime archaeology. Yeah, he has been called that, yeah. So what's funny is, so my dad became an underwater archaeologist. He was the first guy to scientifically excavate ancient shipwrecks, uh, sort of starting in, in 1960. Well, it turned out that when my dad was a kid growing up in the, in the east coast of the States, this really sort of uh, amazing Australian guy moved in down the street, and he was working on this jeep that he said he was going to sail around the world. And my father was completely taken with him. And it turned out that Ben Carlin influenced my dad. My dad watched this guy and listened to his stories of fighting, you know, of, of being in the army and, and, and mining for gold out in the gold fields of Western Australia and listened to his stories about how he was going to sail around the world in a jeep. And I think it really encouraged my dad to follow his own uh, dreams, which took him to the ocean as well. So, so really neat little family connection there. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Rex is shaking here. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to pick him up off the floor. (laughs) That your dad is a wonderful small world. It is. It's incredible. Now, I talk a little bit about Ben's background because you know to take on a feat like this, it wasn't in engineering, was it? It was pretty extraordinary what he had to teach himself. Yeah, so so Ben's really quickly his background. He was he was you know born in Western Australia. He he dropped out of college, even though he was a really smart guy. Um, he was a bit insecure. He tended to get into he tended to get into fights. He went to to China in the late 30s to work in a coal mine. I mean, he had this incredible life even before he decided to uh, circle the world. Um, he was serving in the army in the 1940s, and he laid his eyes on. A uh, Ford GPA, which is one of these amphibious Jeeps. And he was in his mid-30s. He really didn't have anything going for him. He hadn't gotten, well, he'd had a short marriage. He'd never seen combat, and he had really wanted to fight in the war. And he literally, in the midst of a thick hangover, saw one of these Jeeps and said, I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to sail around the world in an amphibious Jeep. Thought it would take him one year. It ended up taking almost 10 years and really consuming his life, both during the journey and, and in the years afterward. And there are a couple of false starts too, weren't there? And the one involving carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, so he, he just, in 1948, he and his wife, Eleanor, an American uh, who he'd met in the Army, set off from New York with, with very little fanfare and sailed into the Atlantic. And, and literally, he had very little sailing experience. This amphibious jeep was never meant to go out into the sea. He taught himself celestial navigation from a textbook in, mm. in one week, um, <laughs> and they set off. And, and the, the exhaust cracked within a, a matter of hours and leaked carbon monoxide into the cabin. They of came course. back. They tried three times in 1948. They tried one time in 1949. And finally, in 1950, they made a successful crossing of the North Atlantic via the Azores. And that landed them, uh, you know, in international newspapers, on TV and radio. And for, for this brief little blip in time, Ben Carlin was famous. Uh, and then, it sort of almost inexplicably, that fame faded. And, and, you know, so 
1950 to 1955, you might have heard his name, and then after that, it kind of vanished. And part of the book was trying to find out, you know, why that happened. Why, why, even when he completed his journey in 1958, was he was he forgotten? Uh, Colin, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> Gordon. I'm going to get everyone, the whole family mixed up. Sorry, Gordon. Can you just uh, let us know where where the name came from, the half safe? Yeah, he, he. So he had this jeep, and for a year or two, he didn't know what to call it. He called it the platypus. He called it Carlin's creation. And then one day, he heard this jingle on the radio uh, for for an antiperspirant called Arid. Um, I don't even know if they sell it anymore. But anyway, the jingle went. I'm not going to try to sing it, but it was like, "Don't be, don't be half safe, be arid safe." And that stuck. And he said, "I mean, the damn jeep wasn't more than a quarter safe, but half safe." <laughs> he talked. Touched a little bit on the support or lack of support, and and as that waned sort of through time. But he did have one big supporter in of all people, Norman Lindsay. Can you talk us through that connection? Yeah, the, Ben had very little. He, he had a hard time drumming up sponsors. He was very abrasive. Uh, he alienated a lot of, uh, of of the press and the media. And and but there was there were a few people that understood him, and one was Norman Lindsay. Uh, Norman Lindsay, he met in Australia in 50, uh, 1956, when he was halfway around the world, and Lindsay was completely taken with him and wrote this very poetic letter that I include in the book about how Ben was a manifestation of spirit, uh, and specifically Australian spirit. And I think it was things like that that kept Ben going, that, that a few people could see what he was doing. I mean, your show is very much, you know, you focus on people who are, who are doing good things for the ocean. And I think today somebody like Ben would be sailing around the world to raise awareness for a cause or something like that. But mm. he didn't have that. He just did it because he was driven and he had made up his mind to do it. There was no deeper meaning to it. And that, that made it hard for some people to understand what he was up to. Yeah, that's right. Um, just reading a quote from that letter, which I think is amazing. I'm not really making any sort of overstatement when I say that I prize your half-safe voyage as I prize a fine poem or picture produced by an Australian. Blood and spirit are inseparable and I've damned my own destiny sufficiently for anchoring by the backside in a studio all my life <laughs> to define as best what I can, what spirit means to me. It's just such a great quote mm. and really wonderful to read that. Well, thank my editor for telling me I had to move that from the end of the book up to the front. <laughs> <laughs> it's great because it really... Nice yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, now, in your press release for the book's launch, the questions asked, where does a dream end and an obsession begin? And I think it's a really excellent question. You've sort of just touched on that just now, having, having researched and documented this incredible odyssey. Do you have an answer to that question now, do you think? Um, what, ask me the question again. Well, where, where does it? Uh, where, um, where does a dream end and an obsession begin? I think the obsession. I think there was a point when he was crossing the Pacific Ocean in 1957, and there was no longer any romance to the journey left. And he wrote in a letter that it was nothing but the awful endlessness of the ocean anymore. And I think that's when it became. It was. It was. It was clear that it was an obsession. It was. He wasn't even enjoying it anymore. But you know, here he was in his mid 40s a sort of a, a hard-drinking guy in this rusty amphibious jeep that the world was forgetting about, yet he kept traveling eastward you know, year after year, month after month, long after the world had forgotten about him. Um, and, and it was an obsession. And toward, you know, in, his, in the last 20 years of his life, I think uh, 
it, it crushed him that more people didn't recognize what he'd done, didn't remember him, and it really haunted him in the, in the final years of his life. Mm. And so that is a dream that turns into an obsession, that turns into a bit of a tragedy. Now, uh, we mentioned earlier about the potential for a film, and, and obviously there was some interest um, by Heath Ledger a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Is this potentially on the cards again, do you think? We were saying earlier, this would just make for an comp- epic film. Have mm. you had any interest from any producers? We've had one... Pro- uh, the publisher, uh, Penguin, has had uh, at least one query about the film rights to it. And you're right, it would be an amazing movie or, or you know, a, a series... Um, so, yeah, anybody's interested to get in Heath was certainly interested in doing it because he had gone to the same school and grew up hearing the stories about Ben. Um, but, but they, his idea, in, it was very early in his career, was it should be turned into a comedy. And they actually looked at Jim Carrey uh, to, to, to play Ben's part, which would have been all wrong. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> I think we 100% concur here. <laughs> On that front, I mean, the story is just so epic in its own. It doesn't really need any embellishment, does it? No. Like, you could just, I, I just, I so seriously hope this turns into a film. It just, yeah, Terry? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, there'd be so much interest, obviously, from Australia. And, you know, having, you know, watched the uh, the teenagers here do the round-the-world sailing, I mean, that's, you know, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. there's all the pomp and circumstance and fantastic, but then they're out in the middle of the ocean and it's just bloody hard work then, so... I think people could really, yeah. uh, you know, feel for his plight. And I think there's a there's a nice balance between the adventure and the sort of the the personal side of his life, which he doesn't get. He didn't get into in the books and the things that he wrote. But there was a real sort of a, a an obsessed, tragic side to him that I that I've looked at. And I think that is interesting to me anyway as the adventure itself. Definitely. And it's something that we haven't touched on here and I've been conscious of that. But um, as people who are listening now who I'm sure are going to want to rush out and buy it and read it for themselves, they'll pick up on a lot of this stuff as they read through as well. Gordon, it's been absolutely delightful speaking with you. Have you got plans to come to Australia at any point in time? Because we'd love to have you here in studio. I would love to come by. There's, there's a chance that I'll be there uh, next June uh, as part of the Adventure Travel Film Festival that's being planned for Perth, at which you'll be able to actually see some footage that's been shot. So so if that happens and I come down, I will let you know. I'd love to come see you. That would be great. And Melbourne International Film Festival is on not long after that, so um, maybe we can find a way of tying the two in. I so, believe there may be uh, the Adventure Travel Film Festival may be taking place near Melbourne as well earlier next year. Oh, great. Excellent. Well, let's have our people keep in touch with each other or we can just do that ourselves <laughs> and um, be great to have you in studio. Thanks so much for speaking with us, Gordon. It's been absolutely delightful. Oh, thanks to all of you. Thanks so much. Thanks, okay. Gordon. Thank you. And just repeating, the last great Australian adventurer, Ben Carlin's epic journey around the world by Amphibious Jeep by Gordon Bass, um, published by uh, Ebury Press. It's got written here, but I've seen it. It's You can get it in the Avenue. You can get it at Readings. You can get it in all good bookstores, certainly around Melbourne, and I'm guessing all over Australia as well. Thanks, Gordon. Um, uh, oh, I think you've gone. Yep, no, he's gone. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, can't highly recommend this enough. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Thank you, Mr Wayne Lynch. Mr. Rex Hunter. We had such an amazing time speaking with Gordon. We lost track of time. I'm still up in the air, sorry. Yeah. What, a, <laughs> what a penny drop moment when you realised that he was the son of your hero. 
<laughs> I wish you could have seen your face. <laughs> right. Well, quick. Let's do a really quick one. Quick on the Macumba. The, yes. The Macumba was a uh, small Australian-owned vessel, about 2,500 tons, running between uh, Thursday Island and Darwin during World War II when it was attacked by a Japanese, couple of Japanese float planes, um, machine gunned, bombed and sunk, mm. um, and then... Three guys were, were lost. Uh, and also, there was a minister on board, and he was actually taken by the Japanese, flown off and later executed. Oh. Mm. So um, it's a very, very tragic tale. But the vessel disappeared from the, the uh, radar screen, and the survivors were picked up eventually. But uh, it was, uh, in the National Archives, there was a, a file on it, and I actually went in, found the file, and did a bit, a bit of research, which I sent off to Dave um, Steinberg up in Darwin. So there's a bit of connection here. Mm. And so uh, for about the last eight years, Dave's been trying to organise with the, the Navy and whoever else and finally got on the CSIRO with the investigator. They just happened to be going from, I think, Sydney to um, Broome or somewhere like that and they, they had like, you know, an hour, a window of 10 hours or something like that. So they finally did a, a sonar sweep with it and after 74 years she they found her on the bottom wow waiting waiting just waiting there how deep oh well it says 40 odd meters oh, which beautiful. is not it's not outrageous no. and in the reports it said 25 fathoms which is mm. more or less the same and so it's been found and it's going to be declared historic shipwrecked uh and um yeah that's Fantastic. pretty exciting so mm. it's nice to have a little my toe in the water there a little bit, helping yeah. out with yeah. finding position for it. Fantastic. So it's been declared. What happens now? Will there be any kind of expedition to go and have oh, a look? Yeah, they'll probably 40 metres is quite diveable. Yeah, it's not, it's not outrageous. So yeah, Dave Dave was talking about organising an expedition. I met him up with him at the recent AMA conference in Adelaide and he said... We're almost there, so we're there now. Yeah. I've got a few uh, diving friends in Darwin do sort of deep stuff, so if they need any uh, help, sure they'll be happy yeah. <laughs> to put their toe in the water. Join the queue. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thanks, so, Rex. Very exciting. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. That's okay. That's great. Thank you, Terry. No problem. Thanks, Nerida. Yeah. And thanks, Kent. He's been... Uh, in the green room, <laughs> keeping us on our toes, lining up interviews for us, and um, sipping champagne. Yes, and we'll uh, we'll have this program up as a podcast sometime in the next couple of hours. Uh, thanks so much to our guests today, um, Gordon Bass, of course, over in New Jersey, and Moana Kerr, Harlan Kahans, and Jamie Chan from Auburn South Primary School. Stay tuned for next week. Dr. Beach and John will be in the house. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.